Good morning again if you just join us, whether in person or online. This week we are picking up on our membership series and for the last couple of weeks we've been talking about these core principles that make up what a member looks like, our river life. And so I'm going to quickly review all the mantras that we have learned in the last few weeks here. So the first one's this. Membership is growing spiritually, not belonging to a club. Second, we don't exist for ourselves. We exist for God first and others second. Third, members unite. Complainers divide. Fourth, membership means learning a new set of family rules. Fifth, membership is finding your function in the family. And today our newest membership mantra is this. Membership is understanding and joining the mission of God and the mission of the church. Let me say that again. Today our newest mantra is membership is understanding and joining in the mission of God and the mission of the church. We appreciate your desire to have been curious and to wonder what it looks like to be a member at River Life. And we also want to make sure we clearly lay this out so that you understand at the end of the series, you understand what it, membership looks like at River Life and that you can decide if you want to be a member or not. And, and, and your decision of being one or not doesn't mean that you can't come to River Life anymore. Membership is just things, it just allows you privileges to make big decisions for the church. And so if you opt not to be a member, that's absolutely okay. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But again, we want you to know what you're signing up for without guessing or assuming what, the mem- what membership may be. Now, I'm curious if you've ever had a moment where you've been a part of an organization or you've been part of a group or you've been a part of something where you didn't know what the purpose was or wasn't clear or you didn't know what the intention was or you didn't know what the mission was. How did that make you feel when that mission or that purpose or that intention was uncovered for you? I don't know about for you, but for me, it feels very unpleasant. Right away, I think of moments where I'll have friends who call me up that I haven't talked to for months, maybe even years. They're like, hey, Colin, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing well. And they're like, hey, can we meet up? I'd love to catch up with you sometimes. I'm like, great, let's do it. And we go down, we go down to the coffee shop or something, and we're meeting, and we're talking. We're having some small talk for a couple minutes. And then after we get done talking, all of a sudden, they insert the topic of, wanting me to join in on their pyramid scheme business. I'm like, oh man, if I had only known, if I had only known your purpose, it could have saved me 30 minutes. Sounds like you're familiar with that. And if you're the friend who makes the calls because you're in the pyramid business, shame on you. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. But again, Knowing the purpose and knowing the intention of something is so important because if we don't know, sometimes it leads us to feeling confused, maybe even misdirected, maybe even frustrated. Why am I doing, what am I doing here? And what is my purpose? And what is this organization's purpose? You see, that's not the case with God. And that's not the case with God's church. God has a mission. And he wants us to join in on it. God has a mission for us. God has a mission for the church. So today we're going to dive into what that mission is. And the book of 1 Peter helps us answer that. 
And so the book of 1 Peter was written by Peter, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, the same Peter who walked on water, the same Peter who cut the ear off from the guard when they were trying to, um, trying to, uh, trying to capture Jesus. Um, is that same Peter. So he writes this letter to encourage the believers in five different churches um, in modern-day Turkey to help them endure the persecution they were experiencing. These churches, they were being insulted. They were being rejected. They were being oppressed by their community. And so Peter writes to them, encouraging them to follow Jesus' example when Jesus was being crucified, that they shouldn't fight back, that they shouldn't take an eye, you know, it shouldn't be an eye for an eye concept, but that they should follow Jesus' example of being humble and seeing that humility. And most importantly, Peter reminds the churches what God's mission is for them, even in the most difficult of times. And so I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 for us to see what Peter says. And so this is what it says. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone at Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And... A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter encourages the church that, again, in any situation that they're experiencing, persecution, rejection, oppression, how heavy the load is, believers need to continue to be a household of priests. And what does that mean? What do these titles mean that, that Peter uses to, to encourage the church with? We're going to start breaking down the passage bit by bit. And so I'm going to work backwards from verses 9 and 10 in 1 Peter, what I just read. And so verses 9 and 10, they are specifically references to Old Testament passages. One that Tim had just read. In verse 9, three of the titles, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, come from Exodus 19, where God establishes a covenant, an agreement between God and human beings to be in relationship with each other. And this relationship meant they agreed on terms, promises that, that would make that relationship uh, be, be good and be best for, for both God and for, the human, for human beings. Covenants were extremely important relationships between humans and God. And so these three titles that that Peter refers to were 
first given to the Israelites after they were freed from Egypt, after they were experienced slavery in Egypt for so many, many years, after they had crossed the river, after they saw God doing miraculous wonders in Egypt, these three titles were given to the Israelites when they were saved from, from slavery. And they were extremely meaningful to the early Christians. Referencing Exodus 19 was kind of a throwback. Think of something from your childhood. If something were to mention, you know, if something mentioned, uh, if something was mentioned about your childhood, it's a throwback. It's like, oh, I remember how fond that time was. I remember how important that time was. I remember how precious that time was. And so even as a mid-30-year-old individual, every so often my dad will, will address me as Zah. And Zah is a tear, of endearment, tear, uh, term of endearment among, uh, often used for the youngest son. I happen to be the oldest, but it's a tear, tear, uh, term, sorry, I'm getting my, mix, well, my words mixed up here, a term of endearment. And every so often when my dad refers to me as Zah, it takes me back to when I was three or four years old when when, you know, I had a blast being with my dad. And dad was, you know, dad was invincible and dad was unstoppable and dad was it. In a similar sense, when Peter uses these, these titles, chosen, genera- chosen nation, royal priesthood, God's people, the Jewish people knew that these were special that it meant something important, that it referenced that covenant that was made many, 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 many years ago that God promised that God would be with his people. And again, this promise that the Israelites would be God's chosen people, that they would be a royal priesthood, was based on the terms that the Israelites would be obedient to God. And so in their obedience, God would make them a nation. God would make them a light that was separate from every other and that other nations around them would know that they worship God and they would know that they were a special people. God was making the Israelites a distinct people to show them how they were being blessed by God if they obeyed him. Again, a throwback that meant that was super meaningful to the Christians then. They were being grouped in that special blessing, that special covenant. Now in verse 10, Peter references another Old Testament, another Old Testament passage in Hosea. Hosea was a prophet during one of Israel's worst times. It was so bad that God instructed Hosea, the prophet, to marry a prostitute, Gomer, as uh, as an image, as an illustration of how, um, of how Israel would be. And so in, when Hosea married Gomer, Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea. And so it was an image to the nation of Israel that they were being unfaithful to God. And it was so bad that God instructs Hosea to name his kids three terms that, again, that creates an image of what Israel's like. And so Hosea names one of his child after a great massacre that would happen to the Israelites. Hosea names another child, um, and the name translates into literally not my people because the Israelites are so disobedient that they did not reflect the covenant, so no longer were the Israelites God's people. And one of Hosea's child was named not favored, symbolizing, again, God's judgment upon Israel. 
Now, even though in Hosea, Israel is at one of their worst, Hosea also prophesizes that God will eventually bring them back to restoration by fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham that the Israelites would be like sand on the seashore. If you've ever been to a beach, you can't count all the grains of sand. Likewise, the Israelites would be like sand on the seashore where they could not be measured. They could not be counted. They would be plentiful because God blessed them. And then Hosea prophesies that no longer would they not be God's people, but they would be called children of living, the living God, that the Israelites would be restored from the worst of, their, the, the, worst of the, the, the moments of their lives to being the children of the living God. And that Israel and God would come together and that God would appoint a leader that would come up from the land and that, they would, that that leader would make that land great again. And that was a prophecy of Jesus. So in the same way that God promised the Israelites that they would be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and God's special possession, the believers shared the special task to show what it meant to be blessed by God through obedience, even in persecution. And so God, again, is showing them that this is the mission of God. And even, again, through persecution, even through the toughest times, this is your mission. And then in the beginning part of 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter reminds that the church of Jesus is foundation, that the church, Peter reminds that the church, uh, what is foundational to all of us in the mission is Jesus. Peter refers to Jesus as the, as the living stone or the cornerstone. And this is a title that's often associated uh, to Jesus throughout the entire, the entire Bible. And the stone that is the cornerstone is the foundation of any building because it joins the wall together. If you take a look at any corner in this, in this room that we're in, we've got a couple of them. If we were to take that bottom corner out, it would take away the foundation, the strongest foundation point, and things would start to cave in and things would start to crumble. Peter reminds the church that Jesus is foundational. Jesus is the, li- is the living stone. Jesus is the cornerstone that brings the walls together. And this image of walls being joined together, for me, represents a lot of things. It represents um, you know, the holy and the unholy inter- intersecting. Biblically, it means the joining of, of the Jewish people who are God's chosen people and the Gentile who were um, who were not originally God's chosen people, but through Jesus Christ, they were um, incorporated in that. And so it's a sense that God is bringing things together. And then not only is Jesus the living stone, but when we believe in Jesus, we become living stones. The church becomes living stones. And we, get, we are a part of building this spiritual household, this spiritual temple that is part of that mission. Part of that mission. And not only are we a part of building this house, but God is also building us into a holy priesthood. Priests are God's people who serve him. And priesthood refers to a group of priests. Every so often in in the last couple years of how people understand Christianity, oftentimes, well, every so often I'll hear people say, I can be a Christian and not attend church. I can be a Christian and not be a member of a church. Or I can be a Christian 
and, and just key to myself. It's very evident that here God wasn't making a household of priests, but he was establishing a household of priests. He was building up a priesthood. And so all of the believers before us and all the believers right now and all the believers that are to come are part of that body. And so it's very clear in Scripture that the collective body, the collection of all of us, of individuals together, is what God desires and what God designs. And priests were given the, the, the opportunity to have direct access with God. Before Jesus, the priests would be the ones who would offer sacrifices. They were the ones who offered prayers. They would be the all ones who would offer uh, the offerings to God so that people could be right with God. They were chosen individuals. They were special in their community, and they were the ones who were right with God. When Jesus died, all that was eliminated, and it allowed anyone who believed in Jesus to have direct access with God. And so whereas priests offer their sacrifices back in the Old Testament before Jesus, after Jesus, anyone who believed in him had that direct access to God. And these spiritual, um, the spiritual sacrifice simply means worshiping God. Another part of the spiritual sacrifice that refers to the priests was their witness of God, witness for God. Specifically, these two things were the primary roles of what the priests needed to do. They worshiped God and they were witnesses for God. Worshiping God is being transformed by God because when we're transformed by God, we're obeying God's word. We're obeying God's desires. We're doing what God tells us. Praising God means we're, we're I mean, worshiping God means we're praising God. We're offering praise. We're, thanks, we're offering thanksgiving to God. We're doing what God does by sharing his love for, for us. We're sharing our love for others by offering material goods and possessions. And then witnessing for God is simply sharing our experience with God with others. Oftentimes, witnessing gets this really bad rap because it's this old term that was used decades ago talking about how you shared your faith with others. And oftentimes, it was, it was accompanied with being able to debate and, and, and to argue and to win that debate with others who didn't believe in Jesus. But witnessing is simply sharing your experience about God, sharing your experience about Jesus. Like a witness in the courtroom, they're simply retelling what they saw. And they're not supposed to sway it one way or the other. They're simply telling how they experienced it. So as priests, the primary roles are worshiping and witnessing. So this idea of being a, uh, a spiritual house, being a, being a priesthood, was a reminder to the, to the church that Peter wrote to, that being a part of that church meant that your membership is understanding and joining in on the mission of God and the mission of the church. Now, if I can sum that up for us, it's this. It's that God's mission and the church's mission is to worship and to witness. God's mission and the church's mission is to worship and witness. So what does that mean for you and I in light of membership? What does 1 Peter mean 
for all of us in light of membership. Again, it's a reminder that our job is to worship and to witness that every part of our lives is meant to be worshipped, to is meant to be worshiping God and to be a witness for God. And so when you say yes to being a member at River Life or at any church, you're saying yes to this mission of worshiping God and witnessing for God. It's not about our mission. And sometimes this might tap into, you know, is it okay if we have preferences for churches? I think it's absolutely okay to have preferences for churches. But we can't prioritize our, our preferences over God's mission, which is to worship Him and to witness for Him. Being a, being a member at, at church means that, again, we understand this and we do this in all of our lives. It should drive us in everything that we do. So take a second and think, what are your top priorities when it comes to being here at River Life? What's the most important reason why you're here? I'm encouraged that being here at River Life, being a member at River Life, as we, as we come towards the end of our membership series in a couple weeks here, the top priority we should look at is worshiping God and witnessing for God. This past weekend, River Life, we had an opportunity to open up our buildings for, uh, for two funerals. And um, both of the individuals who passed, we had, we had a funeral on Friday at River Life Brooklyn Park, and we had a funeral here at River Life um, yesterday. And both of the individuals were, were rather young. Um, and on, on Friday, the person who passed away was mid-30s, and the person that we celebrated here last, yesterday was in her early, uh, in her mid-20s. Mid, um, As I was reflecting on, on my experience at the funeral, I didn't know either of them at all. But there was this sense of worshiping God and witnessing God that, that overcame me. And in this sense of knowing that life is very precious and our witnessing of God is so that others may know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus so that they may be able to spend um, the rest of their life, their eternal life, with Jesus. And so as a reminder that witnessing is such an important thing that, that I'm still working on, even as, as your pastor here at River Life. It's something that I have to do. And so what does witnessing look like for Jesus? It's a matter of do we know the gospel of Jesus Christ? We know what Christ did for us so that we can witness that to others. We can share that good news to others. Knowing that life is precious and that if we don't know Jesus, then the Bible says if we don't know Jesus, we don't get to spend the eternal with Jesus. But it is through knowing Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior that, that we get to spend eternal life with Him. Do we know that gospel? Do we know that good news of Christ? And in knowing that gospel, how do we put people who do not know about Jesus in our lives? How do we put them in our paths so that we can witness, how, that we can simply share? We don't have to argue, we don't have to debate, but how can we just simply share our experience of Jesus with them? And then how do we find ways to put Jesus in their path? How do we encourage them to take in consideration? of how Jesus is in their lives. 
But then how do we find ways to just naturally talk about Jesus if we do believe in him and if we do um, trust him? Talking about Jesus is one way of worshiping him. So this is what God's mission is all about. This is what river life is all about. That we're joining in on this mission of worshiping God and witnessing God because we want others to know who God is so that we and them could get a chance to spend eternity with Christ. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for Jesus and his love for us, Lord. We thank you for his death on the cross. It was something that we were supposed to, it was supposed to be us on that cross, but it was Christ. And you demonstrate your good love for us in that moment of allowing Christ to die for us and then to be resurrected so that we can be restored to how you created us, how you created humans, how you created the world to be. And in part, you want that with the entire world. And so, Lord, put upon our hearts what it means to worship you and what it means to be a witness for you. Put upon our hearts, Lord, to live this out, this mission, your, your mission out, Lord, and being priests who have direct access to you, Lord that with our friends and families who may not know you or who may not care to know you, Lord, that we can find ways to, have, to, to allow them to directly access God through our relationship with you. And so put it on our hearts, Lord, to love our, love our family and friends just as you loved us. We pray and lift this all up in your name, Lord. Amen. We're going to take some time to reflect what witnessing looks like or what witnessing might be like in your life. So I'm going to encourage you to grab a connection card right in front of your seat um, and grab a pen too. I want you to write some things down as we reflect, to take the next five, six minutes here to reflect um, on what witnessing can look like. And it's just a way to process Feel free to take out your phones if you have a note app as well, too. That, that, I'm absolutely okay with that, too. And if you're joining us online, if you've got a piece of scrap paper or if you've got a note paper, if you just want to you know, write in the comments, too, feel free to do so as well. But I want you to personally reflect on some of these questions here. And witnessing means to share with others how you experience Jesus in your life. And so I want you to take into consideration how you can be a witness to others this morning. And so the first question that I want you to think about, or well, the first point I want you to think about is to think of someone in your life who needs hope, healing, and growth in their life. Who in your life needs to experience hope, healing, and growth in their life? It could be a friend. It could be a family member. It could be a coworker. It could be a neighbor that you talk to. It could be a neighbor that you've never talked to. Who is someone that needs hope, healing, and growth in their life? Who would benefit 
from hope, healing, and growth. And take in consideration that witnessing means we put these people in our lives. We make an effort to have a conversation with them about how we experience Jesus. And so how can you connect with them? How can you connect with them? Could it be a regular hangout that you're with when you're with them? Could it be over dinner? Could it be over coffee? Could it be on an errand that you run and you're just like, hey, I'm going to pick up some stuff at the store. just want to see if you want to accompany me. How can you connect with them? And then take into consideration what is something you can share with them about Jesus? What is something that you can share with them about Jesus? You can consider how Jesus is, how your experience with Jesus today, yesterday, last week. Take that into consideration and how can you share that experience with them? Again, you don't have to argue. You don't have to debate. It's just sharing your experience with Jesus because that's what a witness is. next minute here, I want you to take 30 seconds, 40 seconds, maybe the entire minute, and pray for opportunities to share your experience with Jesus to them. Maybe pray for courage. Maybe pray for boldness. Maybe pray for, again, just a, a free, free time during your day, because I know life can be busy. Pray for an opportunity where you can just share Jesus with them in a very natural way. Sometimes our desires is that they would come to Jesus right away. And sometimes that's not the case. And so this next part of reflection, continue to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Our job is to share how Jesus, our experience with Jesus. It's not our job to convert. It's not our job to transform their lives. That's the Holy Spirit's work. And so pray for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Pray for the Holy Spirit to have 
for them so that your, your friend, your family member, the person you can think of, finds favor in you. Pray that the Holy Spirit creates an opportunity for you to have this conversation. And then lastly, think of where you can invite them to experience Jesus. Where can you invite them to experience Jesus? Could be here at the St. Paul campus. Could be Saturday evenings at the Brooklyn Park campus. We've got some life groups that are starting up and some life groups that have already started. Maybe it's a life group. Maybe it's prayer uh, prayer nights that happen uh, on Wednesdays, the first month of the week, the first Wednesday of the month. Maybe you have a friend who has teens and you can invite them to, uh, to drop off their teens here for a Thrive Night. And then while the kids are hanging out, you guys can grab, you know, coffee or something and just kind of talk about what Thrive is and talk about how Thrive is important or a part of your life. I'm encourage myself and all of us to take in consideration in the next day and week and months to come that part of being here at River Life, well, part of being a, a believer of Christ, regardless if we're at River Life or not, is understanding God's mission and joining in on that. Again, that is worshiping God and witnessing for God. So I encourage all of us, myself included, to be a witness for God and to share how good Jesus is in your life with others. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up to close us up in the song. And I, you know, I encourage you to continue to reflect. I can ter- encourage you to continue to take in consideration the lyrics of this song um, as we just focus in on God's mission and how we can join in on it.